and welcome to the Company Watch on the Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kepler, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hello, Joe. We are recording today's episode in the afternoon of Monday, the 23rd of May, and our topic for this week is inflation and employment stats. Now, I think probably most people are familiar with the inflation numbers, which came out, was it on the 18th, so last week? On the, on the 18th, Joe, yeah. Um, not really a pretty picture, was it, Nick? <laughs> no, and it's um, you can tell how desperate it's getting um, when you see the massed ranks of government ministers coming charging out of their bunker um, and, and uh, training all guns on the good ship Andrew Bailey and the Bank of England and basically saying, you know, the banks made a mess of it, which I think most economists would say that the bank has been slow. And let's face it, we've been saying for a long time <clears throat> that they needed to be more proactive. But there are, of course, as I think, you know, the more sensible voices have said, um, and there's an awful lot of this, that no amount of throwing in um, uh, interest rate rises at the problem would have, have cured. But ne- nevertheless, the, you know, there's now seemingly a major debate going on in government about the continued independence of the Bank of England. <clears throat> Which is a big, I mean, that would be a big... Switch, it's, a big, it? it's a big thing, and as and as various other commentators have, have said, uh, uh, as part of that debate, the answer is that the Bank of England, it's it's not that it's too independent; it's that it's not independent enough. <clears throat> because you really, you know, you do sometimes get the sense of an organisation that is overly conscious of its relationship with the government, mm. no, no direct influence, and I don't. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, but anyway, indeed. certainly it's it is a it's a grim picture. Um, just to skate through this because I'm sure everybody saw it ad nauseam in the news bulletins and all the media channels. Um, CPI up to nine percent from uh, that's in April from seven percent in March, um, highest figure since 1982. Yeah. So a mere four, <clears throat> forty years. I have to say the nine percent made me smile slightly because it. Denarf make a mess of the um, prediction by NISA um, about four days earlier that uh, inflation would peak at 8.3% in Q322. So, uh, you know, as I said to you just now, Joe, <clears throat> what were they thinking? What were they seeing that nobody else could see? <laughs> but anyway, so we now have, um, and, and incidentally, RPI, which of course affects a lot of government borrowing and things like student uh, loan debt mm. um, is now at 11%. 11%. There's, a, there's actually talk about um, the interest rate on student loans now beginning to deter people from actually contemplating university. <clears throat> and there's one, isn't it? I think that for one year, there's almost like a super interest rate supply because it's RPI plus 3%. And I think that's changed, yes. isn't it, from the year after. And, you know, yeah. the point is always made, well, actually, Students tend not to pay off their loan. It's forgiven after yeah. thirty. It will be forty years, you know, with with yeah. the forms. Um, but even so, it just still still seems like a big number. And you know, if we're looking at productivity um, being a way out of this inflation, having fewer people going to university, particularly in in the subjects that we need people to study, is is not going to not going to help good. the productivity side of things. Not not good. So CPI nine percent. That's the highest rate in the G seven. <clears throat> the um, America is eight point three percent. Germany 7.4%, France 4.8%, 
Um, Germany and France heavily influenced by how they protect against energy prices. Very right, different okay. way. In France, there's a 4% cap on energy price rises because, of course, almost all of the energy in France is produced by EDF, which is state-owned. Yeah. So it's yeah. one pocket into another pocket there. Yeah. Uh, Japan, Japan, the inflation rate's 1.2%, but at least it's positive. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Japan has the other problem often, doesn't it, historically? Yes. Yes, it does. And the main cause is, yep, energy bills, electricity up 53%. Gas bills up 95%. And then if you turn to transport costs, petrol and diesel, mm -hmm. up an average of 31.4%. And hospitality uh, quite badly affected because April was the first month after the VAT rate went back up to 20%. Now, we'll come back to my next stat um, in a minute, but I just put it out there and we'll refer back to it. If you strip out the impact of energy prices, what, what they cheerfully describe as core UK inflation was 6.2%. And let's come back to that. Okay. Um, okay. And now that's CPI, you know, consumer inflation. Let's think about industrial inflation, which eventually feeds through, of course, of course into... Yeah into CPI, um, factory gate output prices, that's the prices being charged by manufacturers, up 14% in April, highest rate ever, uh, up from 11.9% in March. Wow. But it's not all through, <clears throat> as, my, as my American bankruptcy uh, professional friend um, once said uh, when asked about what was going on with the property crisis in, a, <clears throat> in America in the 20-odd uh, uh, years ago, and he said, yes, um, the piggy is not all the way through the snake yet. And Meaning there's more in, to come, presumably. There's more to come, yeah. yes. Let's put it more simply. Input prices for raw materials... Uh, up 18.6%. Now, that at least has stabilised for now. That's the same um, uh, rise as in March, but it is nonetheless the highest rate of input inflation for manufacturers since records began. And that, you know, you can't really see anything else and that, that kind of starting to flow down to the output prices and then on to Eventually. consumers. Mm. Eventually. So that's in that's inflation. And, and presumably, I mean, the other thing to, to say, of course, is that Bank of England is not expecting inflation to peak until the end of the this back end of the year. the year. So we've still got we've still got quite a long way to go now. I suppose you could argue, well, is April a bump because of the the, the kind of direct impact of the um, of the rises, yes, the energy <coughs> rises? The trouble is we've got another bump coming with energy prices in October. In October, that's true. And, and that's within 12 months of, of April, yeah. of course. So it, that will be compound on compound on that one. And I see no hint of um, um, energy, of, of petrol and diesel prices going down. And also we, we know we have the, um, the unlocking in China starting to come, that COVID zero is starting to kind of unwind. So there's been quite a lot of, lot of commentary. Maybe that's a topic yep. for next time to come back and, and start looking at the yep. impact of that, um, of that unwinding, because that I think is, is expected to have some kind of more inflationary um, pressures on, yep. um, on prices. <clears throat> So now, now all this bad news for so long, Joe. Can we talk about something positive? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Let's talk about employment, which is the miracle that nobody predicted um, uh, here. Not necessarily long term, but certainly short term. It's going much better than anybody predicted. 
Unemployment in the first quarter of 2022 was 3.7%, which is down from 4% in the previous three months, i.e. December to February, so you keep adjusting on a rolling basis. Um, It's down from 4.9% in the equivalent quarter last year, and it's but it is still higher um, than uh, pre-pandemic. Right. Okay. Okay. Still. Um, and you look at some of the component elements, there's quite interesting things. Total hours worked continue to rise, but they are still below pre-pandemic levels by about 1%. So it's marginal. Mm-hmm. Very, very volatile labour market. As I think we know, job-to-job moves were at a record high in uh, Q1 2022, mm-hmm. uh, 994,000 people changed jobs. It's a huge number. Yeah, that is a huge number, isn't that's, it? That is a huge that's number. That's 3% of the labour force yeah. of jobs. Um, and and uh, the ONS comments, driven by resignations rather than dismissals. And we knew this. So, we? I mean, this has been something that's been talked about throughout the the kind of pandemic. You know, the Great Resignation. I think is America and you know in the UK and and you know I'm yeah. sure lots of businesses are seeing um, are seeing that change in um, in staff. Yeah, you 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 also get some interesting structural movements within the workforce. The number of part time employees is going up. The number of self employed workers is going up. The number of full-time employees is going down. So the economy continues to gig. Yeah. It's gigging and gigging more and more. Um, and this is something that came out quite quite strongly. I mean, I think both you and I slightly lost the um, the will to sit through about two and a half hours of Bank of England <laughs> evidence to the Treasury Select Committee, but yep. we both, we both heard, heard, heard some of it. Um, but this focus on the labour market was something that was really concerning to the, the Bank of England and kind of understanding what's going on in terms of people leaving the um, the workforce and not coming back, whether that's because you know older people are, are deciding to, to step out of the of the workforce or long COVID was another reason. And I think you know, anecdotally you've heard of, of quite a few cases of people with long COVID like, withdrawing from the workforce because then they feel like unable they, to, they to continue. Can't. They um, can't. Yeah, because the Bank of England identified that um, in this quarter, 320,000 people had left the workforce, you know, and, and, and put the blame fairly and squarely on long COVID, mm. which is, of course, mm. the um, the problem that dare not mention its name if you happen to be a government minister or a government official. Well, COVID, um, what's COVID? It's <laughs> COVID. Yeah. Um, one very firmly good bit of news also within this lot the entrenched unemployment is falling. Um, those out of work um, for six to 12 months, so you might call that medium term unemployment, that went down. And those out of work for over 12 months also went down. And, and I think that's a that's a very good thing. Not really get a surprising when you consider that for the very first time since records began, how often are we saying that these days? There are now fewer unemployed than there are vacancies. It's incredible. Extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary figure. Um, the vacancies continue to rise. They're up to almost 1.3 million. And the unemployment figure is um, 1.26 million. So mm. it's marginal. But I guess the problem is that. it's a skill match, isn't it? It's, you know, are the, yes. are the, vac- do the vacancies match the skills of the people who are looking for work? And I suspect the answer and, is probably and it's, and, no. it's a lo- and it's a location match. And that feeds yeah. through into another problem, which we really don't have time for, which is housing. 
<laughs> you know, it's all very well the Norman Tebbit get on your bike and find a job, but not if there's nowhere to live, live where the job is. But that's that's for an altogether different dis- discussion. That's <laughs> the topic so, of its own, isn't it? Oh, isn't it just so? So those are the employment numbers, and that is, I think, broadly speaking, good news, and nothing that you know, nothing like what we were predicting a year mm, ago. Yeah, absolutely. at all. Although you know, keep in your minds that um, the uh, MPC prediction is for that percentage um, unemployment percentage to go up over five percent. In 2025, yeah, yeah, or indeed, if now, you call NISA a lower number. <laughs> well, we, we're not sure about NISA. We'll come back to NISA. NISA has a chance to um, to, to redeem itself. Um, but but the flip side, obviously, of this is the the pressure that that low unemployment puts on, on wages pay on pay rates. Absolutely. Okay, let's go with this one. Growth in average total pay, including bonuses, was seven percent. This is the Again, the first quarter, yep. Jan to March this year. Regular pay, excluding bonuses, was up 4.2%. Well, not bad. Inflation at 9%, you know, the, the, uh, the real earnings are falling. But let's break that down a little mm. tiny bit. There's a, there's a huge yawning chasm between what's going on in the public and the private sector. Private sector... Nominal pay in this quarter went up by 8.2%, so almost headline inflation. And the quarter, and let's just remember that the quarter we're talking about actually is the quarter ending in March, isn't it? So yes. before the inflation had quite taken the, the sharp yeah. upward, upward yeah. turn. Okay. Yeah, so private sector up 8.2%, public sector up 1.6%. So what you then get is a really revealing... Um, uh, look at what's going on on a sectorial basis through the economy. And you look at which sectors are showing the highest rate of growth. And you come up with some a, a couple of categories that will not elicit much sympathy or, or much joy. Real estate leads the pack where pay has gone up 31%. Financial insurance... So financial services mm-hmm. up 22%. Hospitality up 17%. I think that's that really is labor market, uh, that's labor shortage driven. Yeah. Um wholesale up 16%, professional services up 16%. And so it goes on. But if you draw a line, sorry, Joe, you were going to I was gonna say, I was just because we talked about this earlier and we, and we couldn't see you've you've read the release um in detail, but I wonder whether there was any furlough impact in these numbers. And it's not meant to, it's not pulled out, is it, in those in those it, numbers? It, so it's, it, it, I said it's possible, but we we don't know. It's not it's not clear whether there is some kind of well, adjustment taking place. But well you get you get the sense that just as the um uh, the government's lost interest in COVID, the ONS has lost interest in the furlough scheme. Okay. You know, but anyway, so if you draw, if you then draw a line through this sector chart, this bar chart that uh, the ONS pushed out, um, every sector, the pay growth is above core inflation of 6.2%. I said I'd come back to it, 6.2%, except retail, which is odd, yeah, but the, uh, the rest is not. Healthcare, education public administration, 
which is all down to that low figure for public, the public sector mm-hmm. and the arts, where frankly there's no money on that. Mm-hmm. And the 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 one really odd outlier, and again, there's no comment about why, but one sector had negative pay growth in the quarter to March, and that's agriculture. Which again, we find quite surprising, don't we? Because there's been lots of talk about yeah, screaming they're having to pay more to get and, workers. And pay more, yeah. Um, whether that's a seasonal effect that hasn't been corrected, I don't know. So what you see there is the sectors with heavy heavy public sector involvement, government uh, involvement, are seeing pay growth below core inflation because the government can control it to an extent, um, and the private sector is motoring away. So the answer is you just need to be you you need to be a, a real estate broker. Yeah. So, so, well, all the, um, the civil agent, service um, change of the civil service reduction. I think we know where they will all be heading towards. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the pay rate side uh, side of it. Yeah, and it's, I think it's, yeah. Let's have a look at insolvency because I, I suppose again, I mean, we come back to this. I keep banging on about this, but the um, the, the, the that employment and the the, the labour figures and the inflation rates on pay is something that the Bank of England really. Work, you know, that is a thing that they really worry about. And that is, I think, my guide to what they might do with interest rates, regardless of the fact that, you know, actually a lot of the inflation is being driven by factors beyond their control. This will be something that they will be looking at very, very closely. For sure. For sure. Yes. Yeah, so let's look at insolvency um, figures. So we've got the numbers right. for April. April um, came out the same day as the employment numbers and the day before the inflation bombshell. Um, uh, Fun enough, actually, after a fairly steady rise through the sort of early part of this year, April company insolvencies were down 6% on the month before. I mean, tiny numbers. You know, it means we had 1,991 company failures in April against 2,119 in March. Mm-hmm. But that April figure was more than double April 2021. Well, no surprise. Because no surprise. Frankly, mm-hmm. No surprise, but they are up 39% on April 2019, pre-pandemic, well before. That is extraordinary. And it's all going on in the CVL market. You know, this is businesses, business owners bailing, either because they've they've had enough or because they're under sustained pressure and they want to... They want to put. They, they want to be in control of the liquidation of their of, of their lifetime's dream, um, and CVLs are seventy four percent up on April two thousand nineteen. Now three years later, oh, that's and more than double that? April twenty one. Um, there's also an interesting uh, rising trend or step change, I think was a better way of putting it, with administrations. Which and of course administrations is 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 where in theory there's hope of rescue, hope of something coming out the other end. And so it ought to reflect um it ought to reflect a healthier economy because the opportunity to rescue is better when yeah. things are going okay. Yeah. And what you see there, if you look at the number of administrations, they're quite small, but there again they always are. Um, if you look at December uh, 21, there were 72. And January this year, there were 71. And then February is 109. March, it was 129. Slight dip in April to 113. Um, 
So we're up 51% administrations in April on April 21. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, but unlike CVLs, we're still down on April 2019. So the economy isn't that good. And it's interesting, isn't it? We're talking about the, you know, the fact that lots of these CDLs may at other times perhaps have gone through administration, you know, process yes. and have been rescued yeah, at the maybe. end. And the fact that they, they haven't again. I mean, you could look at that in two ways. You know, is it is it easier to start with a clean slate from a starting up a business point of view? But equally, you know, if, if you if you liquidate a company, you know, customers and suppliers, that kind of falls away. Whereas at least in the administration, there is some kind of continuity and perhaps less disruptions with that kind of the yeah, wider and, and, network. And, and much less value value dis, uh, destruction yeah. in an administration. So that's the picture on uh, corporate insolvency. So we're not seeing this tsunami rolling in, rolling in over the horizon towards the beach, but it's steady. It's and on the way up. Mm. It is on the way up, despite that minor dip in, in April. And um, if you'll forgive me a little plug, um, I've actually done some research for the BBC into global insolvency trends during the pandemic. And we will publish this data once we get, um, we're actually broadcasting a programme on it this coming Thursday, the 26th. Um, and uh, once that's through, um, then of course you know, we'll share on through uh, through Company Watch uh, the data. But the UK is an absolutely crystal clear outlier in insolvency trends, corporate insolvency trends versus every other major economy. Absolutely wow. fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, it be, I'm looking forward to hearing it because I, I, I haven't even been in, inducted in the inner circle. This is this is nicely tightly and, um, controlled. So I, I know, to I know, and the and the um, uh, the very very clear readout from this is that uh, the government here has walked away from the business community in terms of support, not necessarily too quickly, but too abruptly. Interesting. The, the rug has been pulled mm. a little too firmly. Anyway, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, that sounds like an, an interesting, interesting watch. So we will share the, the the details when they're available. But um, yeah, interesting. Nick, as ever, we're coming to the end of our um, our time. It was all, always goes too quickly. Thank you so much for all your um, insight into the the stats that have been released. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time, goodbye.